Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hello, friends, and happy, happy hour day. If you were listening to this on release day, I'm actually on an airplane heading to the She Speaks Conference in Charlotte, North Carolina to be a part of the pre-conference event, and I am so excited. If you're gonna be there or you have a friend that's gonna be there, tell them to come say hi. I love meeting listeners. It's truly one of my favorite things. So come say hi if you're there. Today, my guest for the show is Lauren Eberspacher. You may have seen Lauren and her family on the Today Show because the Today Show came and visited their Nebraska farm and she shared how her family handles the demands and the isolation of harvest time. Lauren's family grows food that we eat. She's a city girl turned into a farm wife. She stays at home with her three small children and writes words to encourage other women in the thick of mothering little ones. Lauren and I talk candidly about her struggles through postpartum depression, friendships that made a huge difference in her healing from PPD, and the fight for contentment and living where you are, finding that work-life balance. And I must tell you, we talk about married people things, aka sex. We do. Nothing we say is inappropriate by any means, but if you have little ones nearby, you might want to keep this episode for a time when you aren't dragging them around besides you and maybe you have your earbuds in and you're listening all alone to yourself. Listeners, recently I asked you guys to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast and you guys showed up. First, I want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that. I feel so honored to be a part of your week through the happy hour. And I mean every part of what I just said. It is a true honor to know that every week you and I are hanging out and another guest that I bring along with me every week. I love that you're sharing with all of iTunes what you love and why you're a listener. Thank you so much for all of you 5,000 plus people who have rated and reviewed the show. I wanna say thank you to LD118 for five stars and for sharing how much the happy hour has meant to you. This is what they said. She said, I discovered the happy hour with Jamie Ivey when I accepted a job that involved about an hour commute each day. There were already multiple episodes when I first started listening, so I was able to binge listen for a month or so and to work until I was caught up. From there, Wednesdays became my favorite day of the week, thanks to getting to listen to the newest episode. The Lord has used this podcast to grow me closer to Himself and to remind me that I am not alone in whatever I'm going through. The episodes always come at the perfect time and speak right to my heart, whether it's regarding racial reconciliation, parenting, infertility, singleness, or just fun topics. This podcast covers it all. It is a good use of your time. I'm now a stay-at-home mom to an eight-month-old son and no longer have that hour-long commute by myself. I never thought I would miss that commute so much. Today, it looks more like listening while doing laundry, sitting on the floor playing with my son, or going for stroller walks on a sunny day. The Lord continues to use it in my life, and I have shared it with everyone I know. Thanks, Jamie, for caring about us women and allowing God to use you in this way. My dream is to come to the happy hour live one day. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for those kind words. And 
Let me tell you, we hear this type of story a lot. I listen in my car. Or I listen when I'm on walks with my kids. And the Lord has used this show. And I, I want to say so much that I am honored that God is choosing to use me in this way in all of your lives. I don't take it lightly. I love my job. And I love that I get to bring phenomenal conversations to you every single week that my hope, all of our hope here at the happy hour, all of the team here, we all hope that they bring you closer to the Lord. So thank you for that. If you haven't rated or reviewed, go do that. We would love, love to hear what you're loving about the show. All right, friends, here is my conversation with Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome to Austin from Nebraska. Yes. I think I've only been in Nebraska once. It's amazing. No, I've been twice. I spoke there once. And you know what I didn't know about Nebraska, which we'll probably talk about this. Well, we'll obviously talk about this. I did not realize how many like cornfields there were in Nebraska. They're beautiful, aren't they? They were beautiful. They wave at you when the wind the only rustles thing, through them. What I thought about the most, I'm, I was driving to speak there and I'm in a rental car and I'm driving and there's all these fields. There's probably other things, lots of other things, but that's corn, grain, mm-hmm. lots of other yep. things. All I could think about was when I was in high school, I watched the movie Children of the Corn. Have you seen it? Yes. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Terrifying. I remember nothing about the movie. Thank you, Jesus. But I do, when I see big fields like that, they just scare me. And I don't know why, but I'm scared of them. You are not the only person who feels that way. Do you? No, I don't. Okay. Would you walk through um, like grain or corn above your head and you would walk through it? For sure. Lauren, I, I almost peed my pants thinking about that. I would actually pee my pants walking through that field. I've had friends who have come to visit and they won't go near the cornfields because they're that afraid. I wouldn't. Do your kids run through them? No, they're not because we're afraid of them getting lost in them. <sighs> oh my gosh, my anxiety just went to another level. Mm-hmm. Bean fields don't get that tall, but our kids know that they're not to go in the fields. They're not to go in the corn at all because once you get in there, you can't see and then they get lost. And so we have pretty strict rules with how close our kids can get to the cornfields. Okay, I, I now have a fear I never knew I needed. And now is this. I'm adding this to my list of fears, <laughs> which is quite long, by the way. Have you seen the movie Quiet Place? No, I haven't. Don't they go through? Oh my gosh. Okay, you should watch it. It's not a, uh, it's not a horror movie. It's a thriller, right? Is that how you describe it, Lindsay? Like a thriller? It is like you're nervous, you jump. I, one time my kids... Two of my kids and my husband were watching it, and I was like, I'm not watching this movie, and then I couldn't stop. It is so good. So there's my recommendation. Go watch okay. it. Okay. John Krasinski, uh, what's his name from The Office? Jim. Oh, yeah, Jim. He wrote it, directed it, starred in it, and his wife, Emily Blunt, isn't it? Blunt, right? Which is so weird because that's not the type of movie that I would picture him in, having gone from The Office to a movie like that. Which I think when you start watching, you've, you have to like, it takes our generation, it takes us a minute to quit thinking of him as Jim. Yes. So. Oh, that's, we're going to have to put that on our movie watch list. You really should put it on your movie watch list. It's so good. Um, okay, Lauren, welcome to the happy hour. All this talk about cornfields, it's because you are a farm wife, a farmer. Are you a farmer? I, I would probably identify more as a farm wife, but my husband and I, Eric, farm together, yes. I love this so much. This is so interesting. We've had another guest that's been on before, Lindsay Kramer. Her and her husband don't farm. They... Well, they do farm, but they, is that called farming? They grow animals instead of Yep, they do, li- they do livestock they instead do of grain. They do livestock instead of grain. Okay, so you and your husband, Eric, have been married for almost 10 years. You have yeah. three kids and you work 
this farm that's been in his family for five generations. That's right. Eric is a fifth generation grain farmer, which I just think that's the coolest thing ever. It is. Our life is kind of like a country song a little bit. It sounds like it could be. Yeah. He's a fifth generation farmer and we have our three little farm babies who are raising out in the country and we live where the green grass grows and the corn pops up in rows around us. So sometimes I feel like Tim McGraw and I I'm about to start singing that song, which anytime I can sing on a podcast is always exciting. Um, (laughs) That's a joke. Uh, So you, when you married Eric, you knew that there were four generations of farmers. Did you think you guys were going to become farmers on this farm? I did. That actually came up on our very first date. And I was a city girl. I grew up in Kansas City my whole life. I wore stilettos and mini skirts. And I knew that if I was going to keep dating him and potentially marry him, I would I would have to get used to this idea of moving to a farm and really just transforming a lot of my life. And so that came up on our very first date. And you were good with it, I guess. Here you are 10 years later, or did you have to kind of buy into the idea? You know, I kind of had to buy into the idea. When I first met Eric, I had never seen a tractor in real life. I love that. I mean, I grew up literally in the middle of Kansas City and surrounded just, you know, suburban suburban lifestyle, you know? And so when I first met him, it was just this whole new idea, but God really softened my heart to it because I loved Eric so much. And I was so attracted to his character and we just hit it off so well that I was like, if I'm going to really fall in love with this man, I'm going to have to fall in love with a farm too. That sounds so, I mean, you know, when you're young and you meet someone that you love, that can sometimes be like, oh, I'm sure I'll love it. It'll be fine. I can overlook it. That was you removing yourself from where you were, planting yourself in a whole nother lifestyle. Um, How did you guys meet if he was not on the farm? So we both went to Heston College. Okay, in college. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I was there for nursing school. Heston has a nursing program and he was there doing his undergrad. Heston's just a two-year school. And I saw him working out in the weight room. Uh Uh-oh, there it was. he was doing squats and I was like, who is that? Mm. I need to get to know Uh that guy. I need to get to know squat boy. Exactly. And so, yeah, so that that was how we met just in school. And we actually had connected over Facebook over the summer, just messaging one another. And we knew pretty quickly when we got back to school in the fall, I think that we went on two dates and just a couple weeks in, he was like, I think this might be it. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Oh, wow. I love that. And it was done. And then y'all dated for how long before you got married? We dated for, we did long distance actually. So the first year we dated in college and then we dated for another two years long distance and then got married. Wow. Was he back at the farm? He was uh, finishing up school at the University of Nebraska. Okay. Go Cornhuskers. Yep, go Cornhuskers, go Big Red. And so he was finishing up there. I was working down uh, at my dream job in Kansas City. And so he moved down to Kansas City and we got married and we lived there for four years before moving back to the farm. Okay. And did you have your babies on the farm? I had my first daughter down in Kansas City. Okay. Eric knew that it was one of my really big desires to have one of our kids around my parents. My parents live in Kansas City. And he just really honored that desire that I had. I also was working my dream job at the time. I was a hemonc nurse before staying home with our kids. And so I did oncology and hematology and hospice for seven years before staying home with our kids. With children or with adults? With adults. With adults. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I loved it. Yeah. That is so great. Okay. So you guys work on the farm. You know, I want to talk a lot about just you, 
Lauren, not Eric. Eric's not here. We're not talking to him. We're going to talk to you. But I want to talk about a couple of things because you told me something that I think is really interesting is you had your third child, which we have our, our name in common because your baby boy's name is Deacon. Yes. And I have a Deacon who is 13. And so I loved seeing that you have a little boy named Deacon. And But you talked about something that I think is really important that I want to talk with you about. You talk about postpartum depression and anxiety. Yes. And that you didn't experience this with your first two kids, your first, your daughters, um, but you did after your third pregnancy. And so let's talk about that for a minute, because I think that can be um, something that is hard for women to talk about sometime. I recently had a conversation with another happy hour guest, Aaliyah Joy. If you haven't heard that show, go listen to it. We talk about this a little bit. Um, And I love that we have two shows so close together because it is this misconception that we need to be silent about this and it's not worth talking about. So tell us a little bit about your journey with postpartum depression and anxiety after you had Sweet Deacon. Yeah, well, like you said, I had two sweet little girls before our son. And I did not have depression or anxiety with either of them or postpartum, anything like that. And so I had a really traumatic birth with my son. My doctor had warned me that I probably would have some PTSD with his birth. I had placenta previa and I started bleeding out uh, at home and we had to have the 45 minute drive to the hospital. they really weren't sure if he was going to make it or if they were going to be able to stop my bleeding. And so it was very traumatic. It was very fast. And so I knew that I was going to have some, probably just some struggles emotionally after his birth because it was so scary. But I remember about eight weeks after having him, I was sitting on the edge of my bed and something had been kind of off for a few weeks. I just didn't really feel that connection. And, you know, like I said, this was my third baby. I knew what I was supposed to be feeling. I knew that I was supposed to still be tired and, you know, my boobs were supposed to still be sore because I was breastfeeding and exhausted, but I really felt nothing for this little baby. Uh, He was laying in the pack and play next to me and it took everything in me to get up off the bed and pick him up. I just didn't want to. It was like I looked into his crib and I was like, I don't know whose baby you are. You're not mine. I was really resentful towards my other girls, which is something very out of character for me. I was very resentful at my husband, not just because I had depression, but I didn't feel like he at the time had a desire to understand where I was at. I had tried to verbalize to him multiple times saying, I just don't feel like there's something right. And he thought I was kind of just being a brat. You know, he thought I was just being ungrateful that, you know, this is what you want. You wanted more kids, you know, you wanted this house that we have. And now you're just kind of being ungrateful. Like you kind of just need to pull your big girl panties up and you kind of just need to just know that this is a season and we can get through it. But I just remember feeling so ashamed because I was like, I know what I'm supposed to feel. And so what did I do? I didn't tell anybody about it, but instead I would take cute little pictures of Deacon and I would post them on Instagram and Facebook because I was terrified that people would be able to see through how much I was struggling. Mm. And so, you know, there's a lot of women out there who I think are new moms and they're trying to hide behind their screens. They're posting cute pictures of their little kids saying how much they love their babies. And I know for me, I was doing it because I was like, I want people to think I love this baby. Mm. I want people to think that I'm happy, that I have this perfect little life when really I was crumbling behind that phone screen. So you mentioned that you knew that something was off and- My question, because since I have never walked through this and you have probably talked with more women about this, is that a common thing to inside your head to know something's not right? Or 
can you also have these feelings and think this must be normal? Because the reason you didn't think it was normal is because you had two previous births, daughters, and you knew what your experience was different. What if this had been your first child? Are there some mothers who struggle with this and go, I guess this is how it is? Or is there something in you that goes, I don't think this feels right? Does that, does that question make sense? That totally makes sense. I think that a lot of first-time moms would probably think, well, this is just how it is. But for me, it ultimately came down to the fact that my relationship with the Lord was off. Opening my Bible and praying and going to church felt completely inauthentic to me. I didn't have a desire to do it at all. And so for me, because my because my desire to walk with Christ was not there, that was the biggest that was the biggest red flag for me. It wasn't just my relationship with this new little baby. It wasn't my relationship with my husband, but the fact that I had no desire to dwell with the Lord during this time, that was, and I've talked to so many women and they have said the exact same thing. And it wasn't just like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I can't no. open my Bible. It's like, I don't even want to. And and you know how there's that that three month fog yeah. after you have a baby or like after you brought your kids home, probably. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, like I'm just so tired. We're trying to get used to our new schedule. Or a two year fog, but you know, whatever. Or a two year <laughs> fog. <laughs> That's right. But for me also, there was this zero desire to do anything that I used to love to do. I mean, I loved going to Target. I loved sitting out on my porch with my coffee. I loved going for walks. I had no desire. I just wanted to lay in bed and just pull the covers up over my head or get in my van and drive away because mm. I just didn't want anything to do with the life that I had. Which I would imagine that would be a common symptom of depression, not even postpartum, just as an overall thing. Would you yes, agree? Yeah, I would totally agree. So a couple of questions that I have when I think about this is, Two things. Number one, how do women tell someone? And then the second thing is, what do I say when someone says that to me? Like, what is our reaction as girlfriends to our friends who are saying, I'm struggling. I delivered this baby three months ago. I don't even want to pick him up. I don't want to be with the Lord. I don't want to do anything. How do I react when a friend comes to me with that? That would be the best for you. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good question because I think that's exactly what women fear is what someone will say. Is what someone sure. will say or what somebody, what is somebody going to think about me when they know that I don't love my baby? Because mm. as mothers, that's what we're supposed to do. God created us with this uh, desire to nurture and care and love for our children. And I can't do that. I must not be worthy enough to be a mom. And so... It was hard for me. I think it was hardest for me actually to tell my husband and not my friends. I felt like my friends actually understood me more than my husband did because my friends were moms. Yeah. And so they understood what that was like to go through just those first few months of that fog and exhaustion and the hormonal changes that you have after having a baby. It wasn't that hard. My friends actually recognized that there was something wrong with me. Mm. They recognized that there was something different. And so for me, the... Thing that helped the most that my friends did with for me was that they just sat down and they listened to mm-hmm. me. They just sat down with me on their couch or over coffee or in their van when we would go shopping. And they'd say, tell me how you're doing. How are you feeling right now? And they, the thing that I think really helped too was that they would push. 
uh, a lot of people say, oh, don't push her. You know, like she's a new mom and she's just trying to get the hang of things. My friends pushed me. And I think that that came from already having really vulnerable relationships with them before my depression came in. I mean, I would say that to anybody, that there is no way that I could have gotten through this without the vulnerable community that I had in place before the fit hit the shan in I my- like that. I've never heard that before. Before that happens in my motherhood. Uh-huh. I had this established group of friends and I did have a very authentic, very vulnerable relationship with my husband as well. But for sure, my friends continuing to push me, knowing what my normal was, being able to recognize that there was something very wrong and then continuing, man, my friends just showed up. Yeah, They showed up on my front door. They texted me. They would call me and speak scripture over me, praying over me. My friends just continued to show up, even though they didn't have depression, even though they didn't have anxiety, even though they didn't understand, they saw their friend in their brokenness Mm. and they kept showing up for me. I think that's really good. And I love, you said something that I think is so important is that when these times hit, that is not the time to get deep, vulnerable friendships because that's difficult to do that. But when we invest in our friendships, when we invest in being vulnerable in other times, then when this happens, you have this foundation to stand on. You know, it's almost like I'm not relating friends to Jesus by any means, but how Jesus talks about build your house on the rock so that when the storms hit, you have a firm foundation. And it's kind of the same with friendships is that when we build our friendships that are based on truth, that are based on speaking truth and scripture to each other and not letting each other kind of off the hook, like, oh, you know, she's just drinking too much because she's really struggling right now. But when we have friendships that are built on truth and trust, then when that storm comes, they're gonna be so helpful. And it's hard to build those friendships in the midst of a storm. Exactly. And I think that that was the biggest thing for me was that, and it wasn't just depression for me, anxiety was just a whole, it was a whole other can of worms. It still is. But when I would start to believe the lies that my mind were telling me, my husband and my friends would come up to me and say, no, Lauren, you are not your depression. You are not these anxious thoughts. This is who you are in Christ. And you are who you are because of what He's already done for you on the cross. He has already gone and redeemed your mind. And so to have those words spoken over me when I couldn't speak them myself, that changed everything for me. I love it. I love the the representation that you're doing of these really healthy friendships. And I think that, you know, so many women desire those. And I think what you and I would say is that those friendships take work. You know, they take trust. They take vulnerable. I always, you know, think about the deepest friendships that I have. They have come at both of us putting in the work of being willing to kind of go first. Both of us willing to bring our crap to the table And kind of like, you kind of like bring it to the table and you kind of like think, what are they going to say? And then when they show up with love and truth and grace, then you go, oh, I can bring that to the table next time as well. Because there's this record of people loving you in spite of your your problems, your your anxieties, your whatever, that they still show up. And mm-hmm. so um, I think for women who are listening are like, if only I had friends like Lauren and Jamie are talking about. I do want to just encourage women that you do have to go fight for those friendships. You have to develop those friendships. They don't just happen overnight. Absolutely. And I think that on another note, as much as we were designed for community, God created us for friendship and relationship. We also have to remember that if we don't have our group of friends, if we don't have our tribe, I guess that's a really trendy way to say it nowadays, we were created with a desire to belong to God first. 
And in these seasons where we're seeking out these friendships uh, and we're trying to put ourselves out there and we keep coming up empty-handed, God is the greatest companion right now. We spend so much time waiting for Him to show up and bring us friends that we forget that He's been right here with us all along. And so in these seasons of loneliness, and isolation maybe is another word. I think a, a lot of women feel isolated when they don't have friendships. It's not just this rejection by the Father, but it's this opportunity to lean into Him and be known and loved, fully and perfectly known and loved by Him. And when we have that, it totally gives us the freedom to authentically then be ourselves and then make those vulnerable friendships that we're craving so badly. I love it. That's so good. It's such a reminder that you are already truly known and loved for who you are before any friend ever does that to you. Yes. So good. Okay, I want to talk about something else with you. You told me that your your word for the farm this year is contentment. Yes. And do y'all pick a word every year that's kind of this overarching thing for your family, for your business, for everything? For our business and just for me personally. Okay. Uh, the word for from Blacktop to Dirt Road this year is contentment. And we are just focusing on seeking contentment in Christ in light of our circumstances. That is the one thing that women continue. I mean, I get thousands of emails from women just like you do every single year saying, this is my situation and these are the emotions I'm feeling. We can strive for contentment in Christ no matter what our situation is. And I think that the desire to have contentment be the word for 2019 has come from this struggle with depression and anxiety and finding contentment in my fears in my darkness, where there have been times where I found myself face down on the ground, not knowing if I can get back up, I have still been able to cling to my mustard seed faith and find that contentment that I was created to have no matter what my circumstance was. That I think is one of probably one of the biggest battles I think women are facing right now is contentment, like you said, in light of their circumstances. And I think that there is this false idea that if we're not thriving, you know, we're not surviving. And I think there's this weird thing with the word thriving. I'm kind of investigating this in my own life. So I'm a verbal processor. So here we go. Like, I think we had this idea of thriving equals this. Everything's awesome. I'm killing it at everything. I'm climbing the ladder. My kids are amazing. My marriage is awesome. And I think sometimes those things can be hard and we can still be thriving in our life because, like Paul says in Philippians, that we can do this because of God's strength in us. And so I'm investigating this thriving contentment thing just like you are of what does that mean to be thriving in life when life is really hard? You know, and I think that's where a lot of women sit is because something will go off and then they'll realize I'm not happy or how do I live in this world? You said yours was kind of brought on by this depression, anxiety season that you spent in and you probably maybe still. I'm still in. Exactly. So um, how do you fight for contentment? Like contentment's your word and you want it. How do you fight for it? And I love that you brought up the word fight for it because that's really what you have to do. I think that when we think of contentment, we think of this peaceful, right. tranquil uh-huh. feeling. But for me, contentment is, it is long and it is drawn out. And I do have to sometimes physically fight for the contentment of Christ in my life. One of the 
the thing that I tell women over and over again, and we do this every single week on Tuesday mornings at Coffee at the Farmhouse, is we dive into Scripture. And what does God's Word have to say specifically about the emotion and the situation that I am struggling with? Because I think more often than not, we don't believe that God's Word is applicable to our lives in the here and now. But I'll tell you what, Jamie, God's Word speaks truth, and it speaks perfect promises over every single situation that I'm feeling. And because of that, I can rest. I can rest in His sovereignty over my life, and I can rest in contentment knowing that His will and His plans for my life are perfect. I just have to be able to trust that. So do you think contentment starts with trust? I think that contentment starts with surrender. Okay. I think that it starts to a surrender, a surrendering of my perfect plans. Yeah. I think that's what it ultimately comes down to is we have these unrealistic expectations of perfection, of yeah. our own mm-hmm. self-made perfection, or maybe even perfection that somebody else has projected onto us. And we feel like that is, if I can just reach this next level, if I can just lose 10 pounds or get a haircut or get a new house or have a baby in my arms, then I'm going to finally find the contentment. But all of those things are rooted in what? Things that I can do, things that I'm in charge of, things that I want. But when I look to Christ and I look to what he's done on the cross for me, in spite of what I deserve, in light of my sin, in light of my messiness, man, that's where I can fight contentment. My, my issues, I guess, maybe even more with discontentment, mm-hmm. the hardest, and really just be able to find contentment at the foot of the cross, knowing that it just covers, it covers every insecurity and every source of discontentment in my situations that I have. It's so good. And I mean, as you're talking, I remember our pastor preached this past Sunday was Easter when we're recording this. And he talked about, you know, Jesus going to the cross and um, the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus, you know, he's there and he's he's praying and his disciples are falling asleep and he prays three times and asks God, like, if, if, if this can go away and, you know, and then he finally says three times, not my will, but yours be done. And when he preached about that sermon, he talked about how it is like that with us too, is that there are so many times that we have to, when you said the word surrender, it made me think about that, where we have to go, this is not what I would plan. This is not what I would kind of want. You know, this is not what I would desire, but God, I want everything you want for me. Like I want to follow that. And it takes that surrender. And then another step of trusting God that he's good. And then the contentment. And, um, I love that. I've never thought of surrender as first. And so thank you for that today. Yeah. And I think, you know, God's will for our life includes suffering sometimes. You know, John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world, you will have suffering. Brokenness is a guarantee in our lives. Jesus warned us about it. And so for me to find contentment in my suffering, for me personally in my depression and in my anxiety, it is my joy to be obedient, just like Jesus was obedient in his death on the cross. And so it's my my life's greatest calling is to be obedient in my suffering to follow Jesus in that way. That's good. One of my favorite verses says that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Amen. Which cannot be put to shame. And I think about that when you said that. And I think that's a really hard kind of theological truth for people to grasp their head around is that this idea of like God would make us suffer or he would put us through suffering or we would have to do this. And I think we live in a very broken world and there is suffering. But when I think about what you just said that is so true is that suffering produces something in us that cannot be produced without it. And I want to produce those things, you know? Um, Now as a mama, 
oh gosh, I'm like, can we not, God, can this not apply to my children? Can they not have to suffer in this world? Like we would take everything from them if they didn't have to suffer. But it's also how God builds character in our kids. Exactly. And I think so often too, we want to protect our kids from any type of fire or suffering or brokenness. And my kids are at a very different stage than yours are. I'm still in the parenting of really teeny tiny little kids. Mm -hmm. But also with this depression, with this anxiety, there are a lot of times that my kids see my brokenness and I don't want them, I don't want them to see that. Uh, There's a lot of times where my kids have seen me on my closet floor having a panic attack and daddy's not there to take them to the other room and sit with them until my medication can start to work or until I can uh, pray through all of these thoughts and try and slow my breathing down. But there is no greater responsibility that we have as parents than to model surrender in our brokenness to our children. Because if we're not going to model that for them, then who's going to? If we're not going to model forgiveness and repentance in some of those situations with them, because there have been times in my anxiety where it's been my sinful anxiety, not, not my clinical anxiety, but my sinful anxiety and my worry that has taken over and I have projected that onto my kids. And I've had to get down on my knees and ask them for their forgiveness. But in that brokenness, in that suffering, we have this opportunity to model Jesus and redemption to our kids. And if we're not going to do that for them, who else is going to show it to them? So what you're saying is God can use our brokenness to point our kids to Jesus. Absolutely. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. 
Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears here for a minute and talk about something a little spicy. Okay. Okay. You told me about this. Yes. So you said that one thing you love talking to women about is how they can have redemption in the bedroom. Yes, they can. Girl, let's go here because it's the happy hour. And that's the things that my girlfriends and I talk about at happy hour. Bow, chicka, wow, wow. There you go. <laughs> okay. So what's happening in your life that you've seen this kind of need? Or have you and your husband, Eric, had some difficulties in the bedroom that had led you to talk about this? So what's redemption in the bedroom look like, Lauren? So redemption in the bedroom goes all the way back to Genesis. Okay. (laughs) Because we were created as husbands and wives to have this beautiful union, this beautiful sexual relationship with one another. And then what happened? Sin entered the picture and sex became broken. Sex became shameful. We were ashamed in our nakedness. So it goes all the way back to Genesis where that starts. But for me and Eric personally, a lot of it started after having kids for us. You know, there's a lot of parts of me that are here now that didn't used to be there before. My body has inflated and deflated and shifted and changed. And so I really struggled with being naked in Mm -hmm. front of my husband. There were a number of months after having our second child, Andy, I just remember shutting the lights off every time we went to have sex. And I I was mortified for him to see me naked because I just had this idea, again, this idea of perfectionism. What does our culture feed us? It's supposed to be that you're just supposed to turn into this beautiful sex unicorn all of a sudden after taking care of kids all day, Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to make it happen, and it's supposed to be hot and steamy, and you're supposed to feel all the feels. Well, that wasn't happening for me. And so one of the things that has really transformed our sex life is praying over our sex life in bed together. I remember the very first time that Eric did it when 
I came out to him and I said, I am ashamed. I'm so embarrassed for you to see me naked and I don't want to have sex. And because of that, I'm not having orgasms. I'm not into it. Uh, I know you're feeling that sexual tension as well. And so he, there we are laying naked in bed together and he wrapped his arms around me and he just spoke God's truth over me. And he prayed that our sex life would be redeemed and restored. He prayed for great sex. I mean, you can who, do that. Who prays for great sex? Yeah. But I'm telling you what, it changed everything for us. One of the other struggles that we've had is that my antidepressants have really changed our sex life. So I, before being on antidepressants, I could have an orgasm and it felt wonderful. I could do it fairly easily. But then when I was on my antidepressants, mm -hmm. like I still am, man, my libido has gone way down. And so we've had to talk through that. Yeah. We've had to try different positions, try different things. But here's the thing. We can't ever redeem our sex life if we don't have vulnerability with our husbands to say, this doesn't feel good or does that feel good for you? If we're not honest in our conversations in and outside of the bedroom, we're not going to have the sex life that God longs for us to have. Because here's the thing, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That includes all of our sex parts too. Yeah. And God, if God designed us to give, have, and enjoy sex, we should be able to work on it. And I think that it's important to Him. So here's what I'm thinking is I'm thinking people are listening right now and they're going, I feel the way Lauren's describing. Low libido, don't want to be naked in front of my husband, don't really love my body right now. Does it even matter? Like, we're just gonna, like, I don't even care. I think that is where it's so easy to go because you've got all these kids. And I've said this before on the show is, Mamas with little kids, sex is difficult because you're tired. You've got kids around you all day. I've said it before, parenting teenagers, it's even more difficult because they're always awake and they, you're tired from other things. Like it's just, it never, I don't think there's ever a time where you're like, this has gotten easier until I imagine they're all gone. But my question for you is why is it worth fighting for? Because I feel like that's where I can see women getting stuck is just realizing does this even really matter? Do you know what I'm saying? Because I'm 40, it could be very easy to get into a rut of it not mattering. And Aaron and I fight for our sex life because it's difficult with four teenagers and crazy lives and parents traveling, all those kind of things. I guess my question is just like, how do we, you and I, how do we encourage women that it's worth fighting for? Mm -hmm. I think that we have an authentic desire to love our husbands right. with the love of Jesus. We can extend that love to them in a lot of different ways, uh, by serving them, by loving them, by affirming them, by being the wives that we're called to be to them. But that also includes who God created us to be sexually to them. I think that it's one thing for us to say, okay, honey, not tonight, I'm tired. Like, I get that. There are nights where Eric will, we always joke because he'll leave his lamp night, his uh, nightstand lamp. That means? On. That means I want it oh, tonight. Like, okay. we have like a light system. Okay. And he'll leave it on and we'll just be laying there in bed. And that's kind of my cue. And there's nights where I'm like, honey, I'm sorry, you're going to have to shut the light off tonight. Like, it's just been a day. And there, and there is something to that. Our husband should be able to 
know and respect Mm -hmm. when we just can't do it that night. And so our desire to meet our husband's needs and have our own needs met, because we it's not just their needs that need to be met. It's our needs oh, too. Yeah. And I think sometimes as women, we're almost ashamed to say, well, I want a better sex life mm-hmm. or I want it to be this way. We should be willing to fight for it, not just because God created it, but because there is an actual need for both of us to experience yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's good that you said for both of us too, because I know plenty of people who they're, the wives want sex more than the husbands, you know? And so there's this, that's why I think it has to be a mutual vulnerable discussion between a husband and a wife. And I agree because there have been seasons in our life where life is hard, life is busy, you're traveling um, and sex just can't happen as often because of circumstances that are out of our control. And that's when I feel as though Aaron and I can get a little bit kind of nitpicky with each other or things that are nothing can become larger than they should. And then- we have sex and it's like, oh, I feel so much more unified with you I could than not the day ag- before. I could not agree with that yeah. more. I mean, if it's been a few days for us, Eric and I kind of start to just get that. Like what you said, that nitpicky, mm-hmm. just that that discontent yeah. that, oh, like, no, I'm, I'm not going to serve yeah. you. I'm not going to have a good attitude yeah. towards you. Yeah. But yeah, then you go and do it and- there you go. There you go. So I think it's, I love that you're having this conversation because I would say that probably the majority of women um, would struggle with feeling what you have described yes. uh, that you've felt before. Um, so y'all, if you're married, if you're married, have sex with your husband this week. <laughs> go do it. <laughs> um, okay. One of the things that I know that you're struggling with right now is finding this work-life balance. And I think that is a common thing for women across the board, married with kids, nothing like that work-life balance. Um, I loved watching your family in action on the video that the, the Today Show did of you guys. First of all, you could not have been cuter making dinner for your husband and then taking it out to him on the tractor. I was like, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. That is real life every day. You do that every day? Every day. You don't make a pie every day. I make a few pies a week. I am so impressed. I So you take dinner to your husband on his tractor and you look so cute doing it. You make pies. Um, you want to have sex with your man. You got three kids. You're blogging and writing. You released a book. You're do- I'm impressed with this pie making. I love pies. Like there is nothing, there's all, I shouldn't say nothing. There is almost nothing that a slice of pie and a cup of coffee will not heal. I like that. Do you make your own crust? So I do make my own crust a lot of the time, but one of the things that we'll maybe talk about later is I love Pillsbury pre-made pie Is that one of the things you're loving? Yes. Okay, it's, oh if, it, goodness, if you're a so pie good. maker and you love that, I think that we can take that as a thumbs up. Oh yeah, totally. And they're great because you can use them not just for the crust, but you can then cut the pre-made crust and use them to lattice the oh, tops yeah. of your uh-huh. pies, uh-huh. or you can do cutouts and you know decorate the Make tops a bunny of your for pies. Easter or a, a firecracker for Fourth of July. Awesome. What else can we say? <laughs> <laughs> a bouquet of flowers for Mother's Day. The list goes on of yeah. what you could do with that. But my kids love making pie too. And so it really is a fun thing that we enjoy doing together. It's a fun way, because there's a lot of times where during planting and harvest, like we're right in the middle or we're right in the very beginning of planting actually right now. And it's a fun way to teach the kids what serving 
looks like? Because there's a lot of times where women are like, well, I don't want to be the one to make the food and bring it out to them and clean it all up. But that is my main job during this season of my life right now. And I have the joy of serving my husband. And I have a really important responsibility of modeling to my kids, not that they have to do it the exact same way, but maybe more with the heart of Jesus of how to just just to love other people by serving them. And so I get to do that with food. I love that so much. My daughter the other day said to me, mom, can we have a day where you and I spend the whole day in the kitchen baking? And I looked at her and I said, if I had a list of everything I hated in life, that would be at the very top. And my whole family died laughing. Oh, bless. And so her and Aaron will do that. They will hang out in the kitchen and cook. I can think of nothing more I would rather not do with my life. So everyone has their giftings. Exactly. And the kitchen is so low on my list of giftings and enjoying. I don't enjoy cooking or anything. It stresses me out, anxiety. But they have their dad, so he'll do that with her. But <laughs> it was kind of funny. It sounds like I'm being a mean mom when I say that to her, but everyone laughed because they know mom is not the one you want to spend a day in the kitchen with. But that's a beauty of motherhood and being a wife is that everybody's family looks different. And so you, my thing that I'm good at or enjoy might not be your thing, but man, you might have this whole other handful of things that you are amazing at that I just am plain lame at doing. Yeah, I know. And so, and like, there's no right way to do it. You just do your thing. But I seriously am very impressed with your pie making. And so I'm going to just, I'm going to let you know how impressive. <laughs> but you talk about this work home um, balance because you are, one of your main jobs right now is taking care of your babies um, in this season of life with the planting is taking care of your husband in more ways than maybe a normal year. But you're also blogging. You spend every Tuesday doing this phenomenal group on Facebook and you just released a book. How are you balancing all of those things? Because the answer is, there's no such thing as balance, but tell me how you're doing it. I like to call balance the B word. Uh-huh, yeah, it's, <laughs> because it's not real. It's not, it's not real. And I have just come, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm a three on the Enneagram. Okay, good to know. And so I like things to be a certain way. I'm definitely an achiever. Um, and so for me, I've had to come to realize that I cannot do all of the things well all the time. And there there has have been seasons in my life where I have tried to do everything and do it really well and everything was just really mediocre or just not good at all. And the people who suffered were the people who were closest to me. It was my husband and my kids and my own self that suffered. And so for me, during seasons like planting, like we're in now and harvest, there are just some things that I have to say no to. Yeah. So I just, I find myself at least twice a year in a season of no I don't sign up for anything extra that I don't have to. I sometimes say no to some things that are good so that I can say yes to things that are better. And that has been something that has been an evolving practice for me. And I've just really had to rely on the Lord's discernment for that and just spend a lot of time in prayer and saying, do I say yes to this or do I say no? And this isn't just with big things. This is in little things like, am I going to wash the sheets today? Well, actually, no, I don't have time to do all of that laundry today. So it's going to get put off a few days and learning again to be content with things not being my way all the time. And so this is just something that the Lord, my whole life has been working and chipping away these hard pieces of my heart, but it's learning that I just have to say no 
to some things now so I can say the thing yes to things that are better down yeah. the road. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about Laura Casey and it was one she did on how to plant a garden. And you know how Laura Casey is. She always takes how to make a garden and then she makes it about your life in Jesus. And mm-hmm. she was talking about the first time she ever built a garden or planted a garden. She went and bought every plant she could possibly think of and just put them all together and crammed them all in there and just got everything because they all looked beautiful and they all looked wonderful. And then it didn't work because it was too many. And she made the analogy, if we do that with our lives, is we just say yes to everything and then everything suffers. And I think that when you can get to a point in your life where you can realize I have certain things that are always gonna be a yes. And then there are certain seasons where I'm gonna have very few yeses. That comes with maturity. And so that comes with learning the hard way too, especially a recovering perfectionist like yourself, is that you have to learn, like you said, that people are gonna get hurt around you. And so I think that one of the things that we can remember as women, like you just said so beautifully, is that with every yes, there's a no to something, you know? And so with every no, there's a yes to something. We have to figure out what matters. I did a couple of years ago, I read Lisa Turker's book, um, The Best Yes. But it kind of pushed me into making a category of these things are gonna be a yes. And if it doesn't fall under that, it's a no. And that's a hard thing to do. It is, because I think for some reason, we just feel this guilt when we say no. Like I'm letting someone down or I'm not being the best version of myself. But ultimately, it's like in light of eternity, does this really matter at the end of the day? No, it, it really doesn't. And the hearts of my kids and the hearts of my husband and my own peace within my own soul, that should be that should be the thing that is always at the top of my list. As much as my ministry is important, as much as writing these books are important and doing all these other things, it's like, man, if if my family is suffering because of it, it's just not worth it. So true. I am the same way, girl. Uh, okay, speaking of books, you released a book called Midnight Lullabies, Moments of Peace for Moms. It's a 31-day devotional, which the cover is beautiful. Isn't it pretty? Tell me where this was birthed out of. Midnight Lullabies was birthed out of my walk with my depression and anxiety. There really wasn't anything tangible from a faith perspective that caused me to take a step back and work through the emotions of my own heart through the lens of the gospel. And so there was just this huge desire for me to have that for myself But then how can I get that into the hands of other women and help them have their motherhood be redeemed through the lens of Jesus? Mm. Well, it is beautiful. And I know that um, I'm a fan of it already because you're talking about real things through the lens of the gospel. And I think there are a lot of people who are talking about real things, but there's no gospel. And so we, you and I both know that with no gospel, nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So um, check out the book. It's so beautiful. You already told me one of the things you're loving. Mm -hmm. Pillsbury crust. Yes. Which you can also make all kinds of things for Easter bunnies and Mother's Day bouquets, <laughs> firecrackers. What else could you make? You could make a pumpkin. You could make stars all- for the 4th of July. Stars. Okay. So you're loving that. Tell me the other two things you're loving. So I am loving my hobo purse. Oh, that you I have, have it with, with me you. Today. What brand is it? Hobo. Oh, hobo yeah. the brand. And it's leather and it's beautiful. I have a few of them in different colors and they clean so well, like for with little kids, it's great because I can take it out and I can clean it. It doesn't have too many pockets on the inside. And it's great because I can bring it out for a nice date night or I could substitute it as a diaper bag. But I 
love that brand. You can also purse. fit a computer in there. You I'm can noticing. Also fit a yeah. computer in there, which it's I awesome. carry my computer in my purse a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's so cool. And I'm assuming they have lots of different colors, lots and different sizes, okay. and they're awesome. Hobo, I love it. Hobo. Okay, what else are you loving? I am loving It's a 10 Miracle Leave-In Hair Product, not just for me, but for my kids. So if you've ever seen my farm babies, you know that my girls have really long blonde hair, and just like mine, and it gets really tangly. Out in the middle of nowhere, we have a ton of wind, and so whenever we get out of the shower, we just spray that stuff on our hair and it smells so good and it takes all the tangles and all the frizz away. I love it. It's like my very favorite hair product and I don't go a day without putting it in my hair. Wow. Can you put it in your hair dry? Yes, you can put it in your hair dry. Yeah. It's awesome. How many days can you go without washing your hair? Not very many. I'm I'm a greaser. I am too. I I get real greasy. I I can usually go two, sometimes three but I haven't really found a dry shampoo that I love, love either. It, the struggle's real. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm with you, girl. I have some friends. I have one friend um, who, she has super curly hair, and I think that matters, the texture of your hair. Yes. And she can go like longer than a week. I wish I could do that. It's like a hair unicorn. Exactly. She's not a sex unicorn. She's a hair unicorn. <laughs> so she can go longer than a week. Um, what are you reading these days? I am reading The Divine Mentor by Wayne Corderio. I've read it twice in the last four months. That it's is so good. You must love it. I can understand. I'm not a twice reader book, but in four months, tell me why you love it. So something that I've just really been praying about and craving for the last year is to have a new mentor in my life. That's one of the things that I talk about in Midnight Lullabies is how important it ha- is to have mentors in our lives and to be a mentor. And so just looking for somebody to disciple me, I just kept coming up empty-handed and really defeated, wanting somebody new in my life. And the divine mentor reminded me that I have the greatest mentor in the God of the Bible Mm. and in the characters of the Bible. And am I willing in my need for and my desire for a mentor here on earth that I forget that I have all of the teaching that I need in God and His Word. And so The Divine Mentor was a really easy read for me. It was very practical. It gave a lot of really good tools just for me to sit at the feet of Jesus every day and be mentored by Him and just be filled with His Spirit and be reminded that in my waiting, as God is preparing somebody for me to be that mentor or to disciple me, that I can just rest in God and who He is and that He still is going to teach me while I'm waiting. And so it's just been a great reminder for me. I love it. Um, Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. That I didn't prepare you for. Oh boy. When did Midnight Lullabies release? April 9th. April 9th. So in April it released. Are you writing anything else? I am in the middle of writing the story of From Blacktop to Dirt Road. Okay. Yes. So a trade book. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And then also a follow-up to Midnight Lullabies. What's that follow-up going to be? It's going to be a devotional, but from the lens of marriage instead of motherhood. Okay. So Midnight Lullabies, Moments of Peace for Marriage or something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, but it's going to be Yeah, it's going to be marriage, okay. marriage-based. That's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah, congratulations. Is, thank you, which is super exciting. Yeah. Right. In the midst of writing, it can be a hard time, so... I wish you all the best with that right there. Thank you. Lauren, I have loved chatting with you today. 
And I'm going to put all the links for people to go um, find your book, read your blog, see your video on today's show. And also, can you tell us about what you do on Tuesdays? Because I have seen it before, but I want people to know about it. Yes. So on Facebook, on my Facebook page from Blacktop to Dirt Road, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, we do coffee at the farmhouse. And we basically just talk about motherhood through the lens of the Bible. And what does God have to say about the situations we're walking through? Specifically this year, we had mentioned that we're talking about contentment. So how do we truly find contentment in Christ, giving women the biblical knowledge and the biblical tools to really do their motherhood well and to just walk in all of the promises and all the truth that God has for them. So that's what we do on Tuesday mornings. It's become a really great community of women and even some men who are starting to join in. And so it's just been really neat to see how God has been working through that the past couple of years. I love it. So I'll put the link in the show notes for you guys. Um, Lauren, thank you for coming on a happy hour. Thanks for having me. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. I loved meeting Lauren when she came down to Austin and sat in my tiny house and we did this interview. I loved learning more about her story. You guys might enjoy her Tuesdays at 10 a.m. coffee at the farmhouse that she does on Facebook. Find her over there and join her on that. Also, be sure you check out Lauren's blog, From Blacktop to Dirt Road, where she writes all about faith, farm, and old-fashioned homemaking. Her new book, Midnight Lullabies, Moments of Peace for Moms, is available now where books are sold. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes, as always, are written by Aki Slockers and this whole thing is always organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is my friend Kim Lewis. Kim and I met through a mutual friend here in Austin and I have loved getting to know her. We talked about loss, forgiveness, and how God healed her through a painful divorce and the beauty she's found in trusting God all along the way. You're going to adore her and you're gonna be so encouraged by her story. You guys, enjoy your week. Share this show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. I will see you guys back here next week with my friend, Kim Lewis. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. 
Miracle-Gro is simply the best. 